Usually I like to put something funny before I do the cue-in music as a little signature thing. Anything funny going on with you? No. This is the Tuesday Night Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 61, and I'm your host for this episode, Alan Gerding. SBJ is dead still. We haven't resurrected him, although he told us that he should be in next week. And with me is my partner, Sean McCoy. Cue Imperial March music. Hey, what's going on? I'm Sean. Good to be here. I'm always supposed to say one random fact about me, and this is one that you don't know, Sean, because it's very recent. Random fact number 12. I just collapsed off of the pull-up bar, and I'm so hurt right now. I'm in throbbing pain. So the story is Crystal for her stepmother wanted us to get portraits, which we've never done before. So you go into the whole photography studio and you get your pictures taken, that kind of jazz. You ever do that? Uh, yeah, but we did it with a painter and we were both naked. Gotcha. Well, we're getting ready to go. And I decide, oh, you know what? I got to get my burn on before I get these pictures taken. So I go to the pull-up bar where I do my pull-ups typically, start pulling up, and I'm on number... 2,000. <laughs> yeah, I'm on number 2,021. I'm not sure if you guys heard me counting. But I just went up, and on the way down, I just kept on going. So I went to an extreme height and just smashed. Did you let go? or Because I know your pull-up bar is one of those nope. ones you put in the door gym. Exactly, and that's why it fell off, because it's one of the ones that holds on to the molding. I, it just, the bar was still in my hand when I hit the ground, <laughs> and what hit the ground was my back and the elbows at the same time. My feet were well into the air. My feet were almost standing straight up. So when I pulled up, my feet swung up, and then they just kind of stayed there as the rest of my body fell down. I was bleeding all over the place out of my elbow and couldn't really straighten my elbow. I'm feeling better, even though it's now like two, three hours later. But man. It's like, were you going to get oiled up and be shirtless in these photos? Did you really need to like get a last minute burn on? Or The truth of the matter is, is that Crystal take... Oh, God. Well... If she hears this, she'll be pissed. But the truth of the matter is, Crystal takes longer than I do to get ready. And that's just a natural truth. I was ready to go whenever, so I was just killing time and being silly. I'm wearing a sweater too, so what does it matter if I get my burn on? So I was just doing something to keep myself occupied. But but yeah, I'm all good now, Sean. Uh, you have any injuries lately? No, not recently. Although the other day, uh, one of my dogs, LeBron, uh, if he needs something, he'll come like sit next to me and stare at me for six minutes or so. And then if he really needs something, he'll put his paw like on my chest, like in a sort of like, dude, seriously, like, dude, pay attention to me. And it's really normally super cute. But the other day he was sitting there and he put his paw on my chest and I didn't do anything. I just kept playing my video game. And then he put his paw 
in my fucking eye. Just like, boom. <laughs> and it was like, fuck, man, come on. It's like, okay, I get it. You have to take a shit. Like, all right, let's go. But yeah, so that's the closest thing I have to an injury recently. Speaking of injuries and transitions, today's episode 61, we're going to get to a few orders of business. And we will have the topic of the episode, and maybe some table talk if we have some time, but the topic of the episode is going to be playtesting advice. Because what I'm hoping is next episode we'll finally get to cover all the Kingmaker responses that we got, and we'll be able to cover the Necroboomicon contest, but so many Tuesday knaves came up with all these amazing ideas about SBJ's Kingmaker idea. In the meantime, you can listen to this episode and we're going to give you some playtester tips, or as we like to call it, playtester paradise. Playtesting is kind of interesting because um, it's one of the most grueling parts of the process, I feel like. Um, not that it's not fun, but... It's definitely the part where, speaking of injuries, I feel like this is the part where you can get your feelings hurt. Once the game comes out, if people don't like it, generally, I'm already so tired with the game by then that I don't care. Like, if you're like, oh, that game fucking sucks, or, you know, people say two rooms in a moon, it's not a game. Doesn't matter. It's already out. It's selling copies. It's actually really out right now, which is exciting. Yeah, that's the news, because the other orders of business is Necroboomicon expansion coming up to Kickstarter sooner or later, but also Two Rooms and a Boom available right now. Finally back on Amazon. If you're a U.S.-based retailer or if you have a freight forwarder in the U.S., you can always email us at contact at TuesdayNightGames.com and we can get you some games that way. Otherwise, it's on Amazon.com. Coming to Amazon.co.uk soon. If you're in other parts of the world like Australia, Japan, or places that you can't get games shipped to you from Amazon.co.uk, I'm sorry. We're trying to work on a, a solution to that. There was a thing called FBA Export, but they only export what they call media, and they define media as books, movies, movies, video games, not board games. So we're trying to figure that out, so just bear with us. We want everyone who wants a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom to get a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom, so we're working on it. But uh, like I was saying, like playtesting can be hard, I feel like. I think that's when you're at your most vulnerable because inherently you're showing an unfinished, untested game. So it's always going to have flaws in playtesting, right? In fact, if you don't find any flaws in playtesting, it can kind of be nerve-wracking that maybe you haven't playtested enough. Absolutely. In fact, that's a good entry into the official topic of the episode. Let's just get into this. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. Playtesting is a definite skill on both parts. You're going to get some great playtesters that give you some amazing feedback, intelligent feedback, and they do it in a great way. And you're going to get some real shitty playtesters that basically don't help whatsoever. But also, being the person who is giving the game to playtesters, there's so much skill in that. You can be really good at giving a game and really bad at giving a game. I mean, I'm assuming that you're not doing blind playtesting yet. What is blind playtesting, Sean? Blind playtesting, you can almost think of it like a psychology experiment or something like that. But it's generally when you send your prototype copy, complete with the rulebook, to people who don't know you, don't know you personally like your friends do. Maybe they met you at a convention or something. And their job is basically to teach themselves the game and play the game on their own without you there guiding them or answering questions, which you'll find is a completely different experience than playing your game that you've been working on with your closest friends and allies. 
Right. And that's usually in the later stages of the game because if you have a complete rule book and complete components and they're ready to send to someone who's never even heard of you or played your game, that's pretty late stage because there's going to be so many changes that it becomes a pain in the ass to constantly change the rules. So when you're first playing a game, of course, you're going to play with the people that know you, with some friends, but ideally play testers and their skill to that. How do you, as a game designer, be a good administrator for your game to be playtested? Do you have any advice on that, Sean? I was actually going to ask you a question right before we dive into that. How do you know when to start playtesting your game? I imagine a lot of people out there have like doodled in books or written up rules. How quickly do you try to get your games to the table? I try to get my games to the table as soon as possible, and usually I can tell because it is at a point where I really want it to be played, and I can't see any foreseeable problems, so I need to see it being actually played because all the work I can do in my head is no longer adequate. I cannot have an entire playthrough in my mind. I have to see all the nitty gritty details because maybe I'm forgetting something really obvious. And that's happened totally before where I've said, hey guys, here's a game I've been working on so much. And here I'm going to deal out these cards and now you're going to pick one up and oh wait, shit, nope, wait, that doesn't work at all. That exact thing happened to me last summer at your place was like I spent a little while working on a thing and I was like, all right, I'm going to try it tonight. And as soon as I dealt the cards, I was like, oh, this game won't work at all. Instantly, now I realize it doesn't work at all. And usually for me, it's not thinking about a couple fundamental things like, okay, how do you win? And what do you do to make that happen? If you're doing these exploratory playtests where you're like, well, we'll take turns playing cards and then, you know, we'll just see what happens. Those are the ones that always go the worst for me. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever done an improvisational playtesting where it's been so rough where I just kind of say, here's a thing and here's some other things. What do you guys think we should do from this point? It's never been that rough. It's definitely been as complete as it possibly can be in my mind. But getting back to your question, uh, you were asking, what are some ways that you can be a good playtesting administrator? I've got some ideas here, but uh, what do you think? What's your number one tip for uh, being a good playtest administrator, presumably of your own game? But maybe this helps for people who work on bigger games or maybe a part of a team, and it's not necessarily their baby, but they are going to have to look over some playtesters. Number one rule, by far, and I think you'll agree, is patience. You're gonna be eating a lot of crow, you're going to be hearing a lot of shit that you don't agree with, but you cannot be defensive. You basically just have to sit back and let people tear it apart. This is not your baby. Don't get attached to the point where you will be emotionally reactive. It's the hardest thing to do and the most important. I think you're uh, I think you're right. I think that's really a key thing here. What I always try to say is like just listen, just always listen to everything everyone says, and the easiest thing you can do, it's kind of like learning to take compliments, but the opposite. Like, some people blow off compliments, or they make jokes about it, but the easiest thing to do is always just to be like, oh, thanks, that's really nice of you to say, and then move on. Even if you don't agree, you know, no matter what, just thank the person for being nice enough to give you a compliment and move on. I think the same thing's true of feedback and playtesting, where you just, you have your pen and paper out, and you write down 
whether you agree with it or not, or you know, mentally keep track of the feedback. They say, well, I think it's broken. You say, okay, cool, thanks, write that down. Or, all right, uh, why do you think that's broken? Or, I just didn't like it. Because here's one thing I've also noticed, and Alan, you and I have talked about this a lot, is sometimes you don't agree with feedback, like you just think that you know they're wrong, and sometimes they are wrong. But the thing you have to keep an eye out for is you're gonna be doing multiple, multiple play tests. And if a lot of people have this same wrong feedback over and over and over again, something still needs to change. Even if they're wrong, like that the game doesn't work that way, you have to address their complaints. Otherwise, when the game comes out, you're still going to have these people with this kind of wrong opinion about your game because you failed to address it in some other portion. I can think of one very specific example where this game actually got published and so many people had the same complaint and the designer was too defensive about it. The designer's response was, yeah, shut up. Oh, I know what game you're talking about. That's so funny. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I do. Yeah, I totally do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to be specific would almost be mean-spirited because basically we'd just be talking shit about this person's game and their attitude towards criticism against it. So that'd be a double whammy. But then you also talked about how to give very short feedback. And that's the best response because it's hard to be very diplomatic and non-emotionally responsive when someone's really given it to your game, probably unjustly so. And what you said was perfect. You just said, thank you, I really appreciate it. Just thank them and don't give them a lot to expand on unless you actually want to know. Because the last thing is people will give bad feedback. And I hate to say this, most of the feedback you'll probably get, especially from your close friends, really bad feedback because they'll want to go in some direction and they'll go on a tangent. So I guess going into the new piece of advice would be this, to manage your feedback. All the time I'm sitting in playtest sessions and basically two, three, sometimes more people start feeding off of each other's ideas and they're taking this game into some other realm where they're eventually talking about a completely different game that isn't even made yet. Oh yeah, and then we gotta, we gotta add in more warthogs and then, oh man, what if it was raining stars and then... Like, what? what is going on? A little bit of deck building, a little bit of, a little bit of kitchen sink. Let's get a kitchen sink in there. It's just ridiculous. I think Neil Gaiman has great advice here when he talks about writing and having beta readers. He says your readers are really good at finding problems and really bad at finding solutions. So the kernel of truth to that is, if a playtester speaks up and says, I didn't like this, they're almost always right. But if they said, I didn't like this and here's what I think you should do, you kind of have to sort of, you know, just write it down and think about it later because not saying that people don't have good ideas and you'll have game designer friends that will have really good ideas, but you have to sort of compare that to all the other feedback you've gotten. And I'll even say eventually you're gonna cultivate a good group of playtesters, but you have to be careful because you don't want to create an echo chamber. There's a difference between people that are giving you good feedback and people that are giving you feedback that you like. Because if you're just playing the game with people who really like your games, well then you're always just gonna get this very nonchalant banal, hey, I, I like the game, I like the game. And you know, that has its value. But what's really valuable is one of those golden play testers that is really able to point out the mistakes they find in your game and explain why they are mistakes. Maybe not the solutions, but why they're mistakes. So again, be careful when you're cultivating your play testers that you're not making an echo chamber because that's how bad things happen.
You just surround yourself with a whole bunch of mind guards is the actual social psychology vocabulary term, that which just means yes men, then whew, you're in trouble. Mind guards sounds like a D&D bad guy. It really does. It sounds like a Mind Flayer's bodyguard or something like that. <laughs> this is kind of interesting too, because I think up until this point, we've largely been talking about a single designer working with a group of playtesters, which I think is generally mine your experience. But you and I also have a different kind of experience in playtesting, and that's developers and designers working with playtesters. And what I mean is we worked on Mage Wars together, and Mage Wars had a, two lead designers, Brian Pope and his son Ben Pope, but he also had a group of developers, and then a huge group of playtesters. This is for a big, big project, like working on a huge card game. And so there, I think playtesting and developing starts to take on a different form. Some of you might be game designers working on a team, or maybe some of you are working on a really big game that's beyond the scope of having one game designer. Maybe you're working on a card game, maybe you're working on a miniatures game, maybe you're working on a role-playing game, and those things are gonna have lots of mechanics, right? And so you're not only gonna need playtesters, but you're gonna need developers. And those two things have a lot of crossover, but sometimes they're different, meaning, the best thing to do with a playtester, and when I say playtester, I mean some, like a casual player is going to play your game a couple times and give you their first thoughts, is to do what Alan and I are talking about, which is to say thank you, collect everything, notate it, and move on. But sooner or later, you're going to get these mega playtesters, or these beta testers, or these people who are, you know, contributing so much to your game that they're making good suggestions, that you're now coming to them for advice and ideas and saying, okay, these are some of the new cards now, which do you guys think work? And I think we might start calling those people developers or beta testers. I don't know what the right phrase would be. Developers is absolutely correct because you wouldn't want to just credit them with being a play tester if they're contributing so much mechanically. They've upgraded to developer. And a developer, when you get feedback from them, instead of saying, okay, cool, thank you, sometimes you do need to kind of argue and be defensive and hash it out. And somebody says, this card's overpowered. And you have to say, okay, well, beat me in a game with that card. So not to confuse this idea of always taking feedback and not getting into the mix or really discussing or breaking down, you know, why you think something is a certain way. It's just that at this very basic level with playtesting, you know, we use it as a general term, but I think more specifically, when I use the term playtesting, I'm referring more towards people who are going to play this game a few times, maybe even a few dozen times, but they're not going to be sitting there with you and arguing and staying up and saying like, if you take the path that you're going right now, you're going to end up with these problems. The types of discussions you and I might have on a game. Right. And that's not really a conversation I would have had with a play tester, especially because, you know, we're business partners. And so we have the ability to get emotionally heated about an argument because we have an investment in that relationship. But I wouldn't want to. We're married. We're married. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that with a play tester. You know, that's like having right. this deep argument about politics with somebody you just met. It's really important in this conversation of playtesting to know the difference between a playtester and a developer. And that's really harsh to tell someone with a playtester, and I don't recommend doing it. I just recommend doing what we said at first. If someone is trying to be a developer instead of a playtester, you just say, hey, thank you, I really appreciate that and walk away because some playtesters will want to upgrade into developers. And there's a big difference there because developers, a company will pay for. Playtesters? No. You don't pay for playtesting. And it's sort of weird because I don't want to draw this like second class citizen sort of distinction, but I oh, think what I really mean is like- shit. They're turds on their <laughs> shoe and developers are golden angels. No, yeah. The reality is, and I, sorry to cut you off, 
is that no, you're great. it's a real thing where people will feel really upset if they feel they've invested a lot of their time and effort and eventually they'll get this sense of entitlement and say, I think I'm more than a play tester, man. I came up with this rule and this rule and this rule and you have to be honest about it. Are they play testing or are they developing? Before you get into this, know the difference. But go on, sir. Sorry, I digress. No, I think you're right. Generally, I think, like, if we were to release a, a huge game like Mage Wars, you know, Mage Wars had dozens, if not at least 100 playtesters. And I don't even know what it's grown to since then. Um, and these are people who are playing the game week in, week out, and they're sending back notes to the designer. And the designer is going through those notes and seeing what they think. And then generally in our process, those notes would be then given back out to more developer guys or, or beta testers or head playtesters, whatever you want to call it. And those guys were testing it out and said, hey, we got a note from playtesters that Fireball is overpowered. And, you know, the developers kick it around and say, ah, they're wrong. Uh, they might think that, but I would be very surprised to see that actually happen. They just had like a bad run of luck or they had a weird matchup. Or, you know, the developers kick it around and say, yeah, we did about two dozen games with that. And, you know, maybe it's overpowered by like one mana. Let's bring it down by one mana. Or we don't think it's that overpowered, but here, if they're really complaining about it, we can add this counter to this deck, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. the intelligence community, you have data and you have intelligence, right? Data is just raw information, right? So-and-so was here at this time, or this person's doing this, or whatever. And that's what your playtesters usually give you, is a lot of data. But the information, the actual intelligence, has to be analyzed later. Somebody has to make sense of all that and say, man, if first player's always winning, I wonder why that is. And that's really the job of the developer to the designer. So let's recap what we have so far and go back. Rule one, we said, be patient. I think rule two will label as be grateful. Even if playtesters are going on and on and on, just be grateful and say, hey, thanks for your information. So that kind of goes with being patient. And then the one that we've just covered is know the difference between a playtester and a developer, and then be ready to get some bad feedback. Well, let's add a new one. Don't exhaust your playtesters. It's really important to have a whole bunch of playtesters, but if every time you're seeing this group of people, if you're just throwing down the same game again and again, or if you're forcing them to play it back to back to back, that's very selfish right away, and they're gonna be exhausted. And I can guarantee you when you start throwing that game down, they're gonna say, oh, no, no thank you. They're gonna stop showing up. So don't exhaust your playtesters. For the kinds of games I'm playtesting, which is not nearly as many as the amount that Alan's playtesting, but whenever I'm playtesting, the best sign for these shorter sort of games that we do, that the game is going well, even if it's got some broken parts in it, is when we finish the game, the person says like, cool, do you wanna, do you wanna play again? That's the best thing I can hear. And if the person's kinda like, cool, awesome, I had fun. What do you guys wanna get to eat? What I'm hearing is a very polite like, thank you for that experience, but I'm not interested in reliving it. Obviously, if you're playtesting like a three-hour 4X type of game, you're going to get that response more times than not. Nobody's going to want to jump back in. But if you're playtesting a two to five minute filler game or a 10 to 15 minute sort of lighter game like we tend to do, I think one of the biggest things we can look for is people who want to jump back in and play again. Or when you make some changes, yeah. they're like, hey, what if, we, what if we tried it this way? And you say, cool, let's try it that way. And then you jump in again. I playtested a thing the other week, which I'll call Super Secret Project H. 
And uh, nice. I thought the play test went really well, and I got some really great feedback. You're talking about my secret project H or yours? Oh, you have a super secret project H. You played my super secret project H. Which I love. Oh, thank you. You like it. Is X taken? I'll take Super Secret Project X. I don't think X is taken. If it, if it was taken, it's, it's done already. So take X. Super Secret Project X. And I played it a few times with a few different people. And the first person was ready to go again. And they just could not shut up about it. And they were talking about ideas and all these other things. And this person will probably upgrade to a developer at some point. Just because they keep coming back with, oh, what about this? Or I thought about this the other day. The next time I played with a, a friend who will probably be more of a playtester. We played it one time. And they're like, that's really cool. I thought my thing was kind of overpowered and i know based on the amount of games i've played that it's not because i could just look at the win rates and know that you know we were playing better or that there were counters to what they did that didn't come up in this game etc 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 but i can't say no you're wrong it's not i just have to say like oh cool and mark down player x thought this was overpowered keep an eye on it maybe it is maybe my data is wrong and that's so hard to do to reiterate you're going to be so tempted to tell play testers that they're wrong and you can, if they're on the fence, confused about something, if they say, well, you know, in this mechanic, when this happens, you can say, no, 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 no. Remember that mechanic, this happens. If it's some type of rule clarification, I think you're obligated to chime in. If it's an opinion base that they're stating as fact, that's when you can hold back and say, okay, thanks. The other day that came up with me and you, I asked you a question about dual which I've designed and you've developed a ton of. And I said, hey, I was thinking about this. Is this unfair? And you said, no, remember, because this happens. And I was like, oh, that's right. And that's kind of the type of conversation I think you're having. It's just like a clarification, like, don't forget, you know, this, this, and that. But the biggest sign I got from this guy was that he was not ready to jump back in and play again. And this is a game that I could keep playing all day and all night because I like it, but I'm the designer. But I knew that it wasn't there yet if he wasn't ready to jump in and be like, I thought my, my thing was overpowered. Let's play again and find out. I knew that, okay, cool. It's not there yet to where he's just biting at the bit to keep playing this game. That's really the important feedback I got. Not that you think your deck or whatever is overpowered, but more that you thought that you just weren't ready to jump back in. The next point I'll bring up is along the lines of how not to exhaust your playtesters. So make sure you have enough and cycle through other games. But here's the other thing. If you have one specific mechanic that you want to playtest, don't make them go through the entire game. In fact, fast forward to just that mechanic. This is especially true if you're playtesting role-playing games. Because role-playing games, that is a marriage in of itself. That is a commitment. And you don't want to have players commit to a game that's not fully developed. So instead, break it into, hey, character creation. Tonight, I just want to play test for a little bit some character creation. Hey, tonight, let's play test some combat. combat. Yeah, or some magic use. Hey, let's play test the encumbrance system and how we equip things. And let's see how that works. You know, so you break it down into its different components. And that can be true for a lot of your tabletop games, not just role-playing games as well. Don't just start a campaign and then change it as you go. Yeah. Ugh. Ugly. Ugly. Yeah. I think the other thing that I want to say is, in my experience, and I only got comfortable doing this relatively recently, there is a progression of playtesting that happens. We talked about at the end is blind playtesting, where it's near complete. In the earliest stages, I don't even ask for feedback. If someone has some feedback that they're really itching to give, they'll give it. I don't even ask them, hey, what did you think? I don't ask directed questions. I just see how it went, and I can guarantee the biggest critic of any game that I make is going to be me. In fact, 
I have so many people that love Hats and Heroes, and I only just recently started liking Hats and Heroes. People are like, man, that game... In fact, one of my friends says it's their favorite game, period, or at least it used to be. Favorite game of all time, and that version that he loved, I didn't like. So anyway, early on, don't even ask for feedback unless you're really itching for it. Later on, you'll want very specific questions and you as the designer should know those specific questions. What did you think of this mechanic over this? And you should know the other versions or possible other versions you may be thinking of in the future. So you didn't like this mechanic, what would you think if it was this mechanic? Have very specific feedback. Oh, absolutely. And this brings me to something interesting that I've been thinking about this week. I was reading that uh, Shigeru Miyamoto uh, from Nintendo uh, Mario inventor and creative fellow there and all around sort of gaming god is sort of notorious for not doing a lot of focus groups. In fact, they keep a lot of this stuff in-house within their designers. Now that being said, Nintendo's got more designers than you'll ever have play testers. It's not a super fair comparison to make, but the conclusion that they came to or that I was reading about was that it should be fun to the designer, that the designer should have fun playing the game, and that's a good sign. Now, you have to be careful of this because you'll get attached to your babies, but really the thing I'm trying to warn is don't playtest yourself into a situation where you're designing a game that you don't like. Even if the playtesting feedback is right, if this starts to bring you into a game where playing it is not fun for you, you're in a bad zone. You need to like sort of recoup and reevaluate. I bet there are dozens of times, Alan, where you're working on Hats and Heroes or other games and you got feedback and you changed it. And while the game was more fair or maybe less broken, it was probably less fun or it was less like the way you had imagined it in your head playing. Oh, yeah. And this happens all the time because designing a game is about designing an experience and you want to recreate a certain experience. And a lot of times notes can lead you to something else where you say like, okay, well, this isn't anything like what I had anticipated. And you sort of have to decide if you want to keep going or not. In fact, I can think of one really good example, Alan, where you and I collaborated on the beginning stages of a thing and then you worked on it and you were like, yeah, I mean, this is what it is. It's not great, but this is that concept played out. And we went back and forth on it a couple of rounds, but... Ultimately, it was like, yeah, that concept does not create the experience that we thought it would, even though we didn't do anything wrong. Was this a role-playing game? Is this the instance you're thinking of? This was the Go Fish game. Oh, yeah. Go Fish Yourself. Or Fish in a Barrel is eventually what I did. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah. Because I think our Tuesday knaves want to know specifics. Instead of us saying, this one time we did this one thing and... I know. Happened. I'm only really doing that with new super secret games because they're right. not fully formed Right. This isn't yet. super secret. No, not at all. We can probably just even release this on Gamecraft or print and play if they want. I named it Fish in a Barrel, and we were really excited about Play-Doh 3000, which is gin rummy with abilities. And you and I said, oh man, what if we could just take a classic game and add abilities it would make it so much better. This is something we should really invest in. It's like, well, what's a game that's kind of always been fun on its own and is a go-to game, but we can make it better? Go Fish! So I made Go Fish in a Barrel, and it's Go Fish, but every time you get a pair, it gives you abilities. And some people liked it. I did not. It was shit, and it, Sean even said, like, is it good? I'm like, it does what it's supposed to do, and it works. It's Go Fish with abilities. Right? <laughs> it's Go Fish with abilities, but 
that's as exciting as it sounds. And I remember we kind of went back and forth on it. I don't want to say we argued, but we, you know, I was asking a bunch of aggressive questions and we were trying to figure it out. And eventually, like you said, the conclusion we came to is this is that concept played out. Now you could start over with this concept if you want and sort of try again, but like this is what we've got and it's not playing the way we wanted it. I was uh, listening to a podcast by this guy, Dave Serlin, uh, who designs uh, Yomi and what the Codex. Fuck? I know, You're listening I to, to someone mention. else's podcast? You son of a bitch. But they were talking about playtesting and they were talking about balance and some of the stuff like that. Shit, where was I going? <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, I derailed you. No, no, no. It wasn't even that podcast. I was listening to the Magic the Gathering podcast and that guy was talking about their head designer was talking about experimenting and making mistakes in games. And he says that mistakes don't necessarily mean you fucked up. You could do everything right, like in a science experiment, and you could test a hypothesis and get information that does not prove your hypothesis, right? And that's what game design, that happens a lot. You say, I bet it would be fun if you put powers and go fish. And then you're like, it turns out that premise was flawed. <laughs> it turns out those two things come together to not make something very tasty, like if we were a chef, right? Right, like I love ice cream and I love spaghetti, but spaghetti flavored ice cream, that's shit. Let me tell you, when Anthony Birch brought us World Championship Russian Roulette, when we played that the first time, we were up all night playing and talking about that game. The first time we played, it took us all but like 30 minutes, but we spent four hours talking well into the evening just about that one play experience. It was really exciting. And I think that's probably the last stage after playtesting and then blind playtesting is publish, redo, or shelf for now. You know, I took these notes, they're gonna be rough, but let's see, we have be patient, be grateful, Know the difference between playtesting and developing. Know some good signs that you're onto something good, which is players want to play it again, or they're talking about it for hours or a long time after the game, or you just really enjoy doing it. You really enjoyed playing it yourself and you really enjoy designing it. That's a must. Also, make sure you have many playtesters to avoid playtester exhaustion. And also to avoid exhaustion, remember, you can just play test very specific mechanics instead of the whole game. And early on, maybe you don't even need feedback. And then last but not least, I think we talked about shelving a game. Get ready to not be married to that baby of yours. Kill it if you have to, or at least put it on the back burner. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. One last thing I'll throw in is this doesn't necessarily have to be a linear process where you work on one game at a time and you bring it all the way up to blind play testing and then you shelve it and start over from scratch. Alan, you're probably developing, I want to say, three or four games actively right now. Oh, yeah. Always at least three or four games at a time. But yeah, I'm always going back and refining, tweaking, really exciting stuff. I just came up with a in the shower this morning, a breakthrough with Thingy. So excited about the change to Thingy. And I told you about it. So excited. That's huge, man. And so, yeah, don't think of it as it can be a lonely process every once in a while, um, which is why playtesting is good as it gets you in front of other people. But it's not like it's just one long journey or road. You can keep other games moving. You can take a game back into design or development while another game's being playtested. You know, and for us, the process continues. We've got games that are now being published and shipped or having their second editions published. So there's really no finish line. So just get used to enjoying the work and stop worrying about getting somewhere. 
Absolutely. And hey, we've beat that horse to death. This is why we need Chessbeard to come back as well. He's been on vacation. Maybe he's actually hanging out with SBJ. Whoa, curveball, plot twist. We're best <laughs> friends outside of here. But we need to do our closing, man. Uh, so uh, where can they find you, Alan? They can find me on uh, the Twitter and on the Facebook. I'm at Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. And how about yourself, Sean? I'm on Twitter at at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. You can always reach us for customer service questions at contact at TuesdayNightGames.com or to talk about anything we talked about on the podcast at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Yeah, spelled with a K, as Captain Chessbeard would usually say. If you like our show, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be great because it's listeners like you that helps listeners like you find this. And, oh, you know what would be really helpful? I, I almost feel like I'm shilling out our listeners too much when I say this. But reviewing Two Rooms and a Boom on Amazon, that helps people find Two Rooms and a Boom now that it's available on Amazon. So if you already have it, you're like, oh, I don't need it. Leave it a review. Leave a review. Leave a review. Do one of those things. Also, if you really liked hearing about some of the games we talked about, Duel, we didn't get to talk about Cause of Death Ghost, we're going to have those up on print and play in the new year. Doesn't that sound like a good plan to have our print and play lineup already on the website, Sean? That sounds great. So check out TuesdayNightGames.com and you'll be able to print out those games yourself. Give them a try. And uh, and you can follow us, the podcast, the company on Twitter. We're at PlayTKG on the tweets. And I think this episode is... Fin- I'm finished.